Thank you, guys. Well, we want to say a big good morning to all of our friends at our Bethesda campus, our Prince William campus, our Loudoun campus, those downstairs in our Edge community and around the world on the Internet campus who are all watching live. So when I say three, instead of saying good morning, which is what we normally do, we're going to say happy Palm Sunday. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, good. And all you guys are going to say happy Palm Sunday to us. Are you ready? Here we go on three. One, two, three. Happy Palm Sunday. <laughs> That's good. It's great to be together as the McLean Bible Church family studying the Word of God. Now, as we said, this is Palm Sunday. And, of course, on Palm Sunday, uh, the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ into Jerusalem took place. And that's what we want to talk about today, because in the triumphal entry and its aftermath, there are some great spiritual lessons and truths for you and me today. So that's our plan for the morning. Are you ready? Okay, we're in Matthew chapter 21, but just before we dig in, let me give us a little bit of background. Here in Matthew 21, the triumphal entry marks the beginning of Jesus' Passion Week here on earth. Five days from the triumphal entry, the Lord Jesus will be on the cross. Seven days from the triumphal entry, the Lord Jesus will rise from the dead. And things had gotten so bad between Jesus and the rabbis in Jerusalem that the triumphal entry marks the first time that Jesus has actually visited and been in Jerusalem in almost a year. So, with that little bit of background, here we go, verse 1. And when they, that is Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage and the Mount of Olives. Now Jesus is coming to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. This is one of the pilgrimage festivals of the Jews, and there were millions. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us that three million Jews gathered from all around the world, sleeping in the streets and on the hillsides, to come at Passover and worship at Jerusalem. And Jesus was coming uh, from the east. We'll show you how he was coming. He was coming from Jericho. He would go through the town of Bethany, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived, over the Mount of Olives at the little town of Bethpage, and then cresting the Mount of Olives, he would go down the other side and into the city of Jerusalem. So, we understand his pathway, right? Okay, here we go. Verse 1 continues, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey there and a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. You say, well, Lon, was Jesus tired? I mean, is that why he wanted to ride on a donkey? No, not at all. The Bible goes on to tell us exactly why Jesus did this. Next verse, verse 4. Now all of this was done so that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and sitting on a what? A donkey, there you go, and on a colt, the offspring of a beast of burden. 
Now, it's important for us to know that in the time of Jesus, this Old Testament prophecy, Zechariah 9.9, was considered by every rabbi and religious leader of Israel to be a messianic prophecy, meaning a prophecy that the Messiah himself would personally fulfill. And so, by doing what he's doing here, Jesus is making an unmistakable claim an unmistakable declaration that he is the Messiah. So, the Bible says, the disciples went and did as they, as Jesus had commanded them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their clothes on them, and set Jesus thereon. You say, well, Lon, I, I don't understand. A second, wait a minute. Why didn't Jesus ride like a horse? You know, or, or some stately animal like that. I mean, a donkey? Donkey's kind of a lowly animal, isn't it? Well, I mean, we all kind of think that in America today. Uh, the old Westerns, you, you know, John, West, uh, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, the Lone Ranger, Zorro. These people didn't ride donkeys. I mean, the only people in those films that rode donkeys were old prospectors who'd been in the sun too long, right? Yeah, so, but you see, in Jesus' day, it was not that way. In Jesus' day, a donkey was a noble animal. As a matter of fact, in 1 Kings chapter 1, check it out, when King David decided to appoint Solomon as the next king, he took, David did, his personal donkey and put uh, Solomon on his donkey and rode him through the streets of Jerusalem, having him proclaimed as the next king. So, to present himself as the king of Israel, it was entirely fitting that Jesus should ride on a donkey, and all the crowd knew exactly what Jesus was claiming. Watch, verse 8. And the large crowd spread their garments on the road, while others cut down palm branches, palm Sunday, yeah, from the trees and spread them on the road. And going before him, they cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. This was a technical term for the Messiah in Jesus' day. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Then Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And Jesus said to them, it is written, Jeremiah 7, 11, my house shall be called a house of prayer but you guys have made it into a den of robbers. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the fact that these guys were charging usurious amounts of money, uh, criminal amounts of money for people to change their money and buy animals to sacrifice for the Lord. They were bilking God's people. They were cheating God's people. They were robbing God's people. And this is why Jesus was so angry at them. Verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw 
all the wonderful things Jesus had done. And the children crying out and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read Psalm 8 verse 2? Out of the mouths of babes and infants, thou hast prepared praise for thyself. And then Jesus left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived, and spent the night certainly in their house there. So here we have the official end of the triumphal entry, but there's an aftermath to all of this that I want us to see. It happened the next morning. So let's pick up the next morning. Verse 18. Now, the next morning, Jesus returned to the city, and he came to the temple. And now I want to switch over to John's gospel, telling what happened next, John chapter 12. Then Jesus said to them, to the people in the temple, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. For he who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. I have come as a light into the world that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. But, but, even though Jesus had performed so many miracles before them, you remember the day before? The blind, the lame came to him right there in the temple, right in front of these same people, and he healed them all. Even though that had happened, yet they still, that is the Jewish people as a whole, did not believe in him. However, among the rulers of the Jews, many did believe in him, but because of the rabbis, they were unwilling to confess him publicly, look, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. You say, what does that mean? Well, friends, the synagogue was the center of Jewish life in every single city where Jewish people lived. To be put out of the synagogue meant to be shunned, to be ostracized by the rest of the Jewish community in town. It meant that your friends would no longer talk to you. It meant that your business would be boycotted. It meant that your children would never get invited anywhere. It meant that you would never get invited to social gatherings. It meant you could not go into the synagogue to worship God. Basically, it meant that you were going to be treated like a leper socially, culturally, and religiously. And this is the weapon that the rabbis were using to intimidate and keep people from, from confessing Christ. And folks, it was a very intimidating weapon indeed. Hey, do you remember the man born blind in John chapter 9? I hope so. And Jesus healed him. You remember that. And then Jesus said, now I want you to go to the temple and show yourself to the priest. Why? Because the book of Deuteronomy says that if you've been healed, you're to go to the temple and show yourself to the priest so your healing can be validated. And so this guy does this. And he goes to the temple he shows himself to the religious leaders, and they refuse to believe that Jesus healed him. Watch. I'm in John 9, verse 18. 
The rabbi still did not believe it of him that he had been blind and received his sight, so they sent for the man's parents. And they asked the parents, Is this your son whom you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? And his parents said, Well, we know that this is our son, and we know that he was born blind. But how he now sees or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. Now watch. His parents said this because they were afraid. For the rabbis had decided that anyone who confessed that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And this is why they said, the parents, he is of age, ask him. This is why. The religious leaders who believed in Jesus wouldn't confess him publicly. But you know, the Bible has a commentary on all this. Here it is. Let's go back to John 12, verse 42. Among the rulers of the Jews, we already read this, many did believe in him. But because of the rabbis, they were unwilling to confess him lest they be put out of the synagogue. Here comes the Bible's commentary. For they loved the approval of men more than the approval of God. The King James says, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And the New English Bible says, for they valued their reputation with men farther than, rather than the honor that comes from God. Now that's as far as we're going to go in the passage. Y'all still awake? Everybody still here? You You good? Yeah? Okay. Because we're going to ask now our most important question. Are you ready? This is Palm Sunday. So what? So it's got to be, got to have a little extra oomph. Yeah? All right. Like the, like the children crying out, Hosanna. That's what you need to do with so what? You ready? Everybody at campus is ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Oh, how sweet it is. That's nice. Yeah. You say, look, Lon, I appreciate the triumphal entry. I understand about the donkey now. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't see what any of the rest of this really has to do with me. Well, let's talk about it, shall we? You know, we need to be honest, I hope we can, and admit that all of us have a natural human tendency to go along with the crowd. I mean, we want to be popular, we want to be in, we don't want to stand out as something people laugh at or make fun of. This is why we all wear skinny jeans these days, right? <laughs> yes, okay, you got the point. Now, the, kind of, the Bible tells us, though, that the kind of follower that Jesus is looking for is the one who's willing and is able and who will go against the crowd, not to be obstructionist, not to be difficult, but who will do this, go against the crowd when that's what's necessary to stand for the Lord. They're willing to choose the approval of God above the approval of men. Now, Jesus modeled this for us when he was here on earth. He said in John 5, 41, I do not receive, I do not care about getting honor from men. The Phillips translation of this says, men's approval 
or disapproval means nothing to me, Jesus said. But then Jesus demanded this very same attitude from his disciples. Watch. John 16, verse 2, Jesus said, they will throw you out of their synagogues. In fact, an hour is coming when anyone who kills one of you will think that he is doing God a service. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, Jesus said, you will be hated by all men because of me. Because of me, Jesus said, brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. But, Jesus said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me. And what he means there is, he who is not willing to face this kind of disapproval and rejection in order to stand up for me is not worthy of me. Now friends, these are hard words. And they're not for cowards. Jesus is looking for followers whose number one concern in life is not the approval of man, but the approval of God and the honor of God. He's looking for people who, if this means that they have to pay a price, even if it means they have to pay a high price, then so be it. When I think of this, I think of the prophet Micaiah in the Old Testament. You say, Micaiah, Micaiah, Micaiah. What book did he write? Well, he didn't write a book. You say, well, I never heard of this guy. Okay, well, you should know him. Let's meet him. 1 Kings chapter 22. In this chapter, wicked King Ahab of the northern kingdom wanted to go attack a city called Ramoth Gilead. It was right across the Jordan River from where he was king. And he had all of his prophets gather in a big banquet at his house just before going to battle. And all of his yes men... And they all said, oh, go, king, yes, you're going to conquer it. Do it, do it, go, prosper. And then Ahab said, well, maybe I should hear from a prophet of the Lord. So he went and sent for Micaiah. Let's pick up the story, 1 Kings 22, verse 13. So the messenger sent to summon Micaiah said to him, behold, Micaiah, the words of Ahab's false prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. Please, Micaiah, please let your words be like their words. Please, and speak favorably. Don't come in here and upset the apple cart, Micaiah. Don't come in here and make trouble. Just come in here and tell the king to go like everybody else is telling him to go. Please. But Micaiah said, as the Lord lives... What the Lord says to me, that I shall speak. I'm sure the messenger went, oh, geez, all right. You got to love this guy, though, friends. He could have just gone in there, gone with the crowd, done what the other prophets were doing, and he'd have been as popular as apple pie. But here was a guy who loved the approval of God more than he did the approval of men. So what happened? Micaiah walked in there, heard from the Lord, told King Ahab, you go to fight that battle, you're going to die on the battlefield. Ahab got furious at him. He had him beaten. He had him thrown into prison. Ahab went anyway, and guess what happened? 
he died on the battlefield exactly the way Micaiah told him he was going to die. But you know the interesting thing? Is we never hear another word about Micaiah in the rest of the Bible. He disappears. And you know why? I believe with all my heart it's because he never got out of the jail that Ahab put him into. That Ahab's son, who became the next king, kept him in the jail. And that prophet died in that jail. But you know what? At least he died with the approval of God on his life instead of the approval of man. And when I think of this principle, I think of Rabbi Leopold Cohen. Rabbi Cohen was an Orthodox rabbi in Hungary, and in 1892 he visited New York, and he was led to Christ by a gentleman right near Trinity Church at Wall Street. And uh, he wrote back to his family in Hungary, telling them about Christ and being the Messiah and everything. And they wrote him a letter with a black ribbon inside and said, you are dead to us, and they never spoke to him again. So here he is in New York. He's penniless, he's friendless, he's familyless, but he had a deep spiritual burden for Jewish people to come to Christ. So in 1894, he opened up a storefront in Brooklyn. I think this is the only picture in existence of his storefront. And it says on the window, Beth Sar Shalom, in both Hebrew and English, which means the house of the Prince of Peace. That is Jesus. And, 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 and friends, life was tough for him. He existed on less than $1,000 a year. His family went hungry many nights. His children were beaten up on the way to school and on the way home by other Jewish kids. He was cursed by every Jew that walked by the store and spat on his store. He had animal entrails thrown at him whenever he walked through Brooklyn. One person told him he was the most hated man in New York City. But you know what? Leopold Cohen wasn't after the approval of man. And that storefront mission turned into the American Board of Missions to the Jews, which turned into every Jewish mission that we have in the United States of America today, chosen people, Jews for Jesus, all trace back to the American Board of Missions to the Jews, which traces back to that little storefront that you see and what that really means is that I think it's fair to say pretty much every Jewish believer in the world today, 60,000 of us on the human level, can trace our salvation back to Rabbi Leopold Cohen and that storefront mission. But once again, here's a man who there wouldn't have been a storefront mission. There wouldn't have been an American Board of Jews for Jesus. There wouldn't have been any of this if he'd have cared about the approval of man, but he didn't. He cared foremost about the approval of God. Praise God for that man. Praise God for that man. Now, let me go from preaching to meddling and talk about you and me. Huh? Because this Palm Sunday weekend... The question is, where is God asking you and me in our lives to choose between the approval of man and the approval of God? Where is God asking us to decide if we want the glory that comes from man or if we want the honor that comes from God? And folks, this is very practical. As followers of Christ, let's ask ourselves, are we willing to tell people that Jesus 
is the only way to heaven and stand firm on that no matter what they say? Are we willing to tell people that the Bible is the inerrant word of God and it's how we should live our lives no matter what they say? Are we willing to share Christ with people everywhere we go, even though we know a lot of them aren't going to be real excited about hearing it? Are we willing to walk away from dirty jokes and lewd talking and gossip and, and backbiting at work, even if it means we're unpopular? Are we willing to go against at work and stand up against unethical practices, even though everybody else at the office wants to do them? Are we willing to refuse to sleep with our boyfriend or our girlfriend, no matter what they threaten us with? Are we willing to tell our relatives that without Jesus Christ in their life, they are headed for eternity in hell, like I had to tell all my Jewish relatives? You say it made you very popular in the family, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Friends, and are we willing, because of our standing for God's truth like this, are we willing to be unpopular? Are we willing to be demeaned? Are we willing to be out of favor? Are we willing to be ridiculed and ostracized and even persecuted? Are we willing to lose a friend? Are we willing to see a romance end? Are we willing to be passed over for a promotion or to be cut out of the will or to be vilified in the media or to have people just think we're fools? If, at the end of the day, God is happy with us, are we willing to do that? You know, I told you last week that when I first came to Christ, the man who led me to Christ, Bob Eckhart, put me out on the street next to him and gave me a bunch of tracts and said, you know, stand here, we're going to hand out tracts. Now, everybody in Chapel Hill knew who I was. I mean, it, was, it wasn't a big town. And, and my hair helped. I'll show you a picture of it. <laughs> I mean, not too many people had hair like this. And nobody knew what I was. They didn't know whether I was white, black, high yellow. They didn't know what I was. They just, you know, no, yeah, I was a mystery to everybody. But people knew me. I'd sold dope to just about everybody in town that used it, probably used it with them. I'd been in every bar every week in the town. I mean, I knew, everybody knew me. And here I am standing on Franklin Street, passing out tracks next to a guy with an Econoline white band with Bible verses painted all over the side and big megaphones on the roof plugged into a record player that's plugged into the cigarette lighter blaring gospel music down the street. The weirdest man in the weirdest man in the world. And here I am. And you know, I'll never forget a day, one day my, uh, uh, several of my friends wandered by, several of, my, several of my drug buddies, and they sat right on the steps of the post office, which is right where we were standing, right there, and they, they started laughing at me and ridiculing me and catcalling to me and, and making fun of me. You say, well, how, how'd that make you feel? I said, well, well not good. I mean, nobody wants to be laughed at. Nobody wants to be ridiculed. Nobody uh, wants to be made fun of. And I think Bob Eckhart could see that I was struggling. I was only a week or so old in the Lord. And he said to me, he turned to me. I never said a word. He turned to me and he said, son, you got a decision to make. He said, you got to decide whether the approval of those guys sitting over there on the steps is what you're living for 
or whether the approval of God is what you're living for. If you're living for their approval, give me back the tracks right now. Go on over there with them and do whatever you want to do. But if you're going to live for the approval of God, you need to stand right here next to me and do what we're doing right now. You got a decision to make. Well, I got to tell you, he was right. I did have a decision to make. And I am so glad that I decided to stand right there next to him and hand out tracts. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Who knows where all those other guys are right now, but I know where I am. Walking with Jesus 42 years later, I made the right choice. And so, friends, I turn to you and I say, hey, you got a decision to make too. Whose approval are you living for, huh? And are you willing to put up with the disapproval of man, whatever it costs, so long as at the end of the day, God smiles at you and says, well done. I'm happy with you. Is that what you're living for? I hope so, because that's what Palm Sunday's all about. It's not about a bunch of people out on the road throwing palm branches and yelling Hosanna when everybody's going along with it. No, no. It's about a call to radical discipleship where we stand up and say, the approval of God. If I can have the approval of man and the approval of God, great. But if I can't, the approval of God. That's what I'm living for. Let's pray. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give you just a moment. If there's some areas in your life where you have not chosen the approval of God, and the Holy Spirit has put his finger on those areas and said, mm-hmm, this, this is what we're talking about. I wonder if, this, if you're ready in this moment to tell the Lord, you know what, Lord? done with that. It's your approval. And I'm going to make some changes. Why don't you take a moment and pray? Lord Jesus, thanks for talking to us today about practical issues that we need to be challenged on. Lord, you know our flesh, and you know how easily it convinces us not to stand up for Christ, not to experience and expose ourselves to the disapproval of man. But Lord Jesus, radical disciples don't listen to that. So help us be those kind of disciples. Lord, challenge our lives and maybe change even our behavior in some areas of life with your help. Because we were here today and we sat under the teaching of the Word of God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And what did God's people say? Amen. Easter week, great time to share the Lord. Look for opportunities. Be a missionary. God bless you.
Have a good week.